0: is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, this morning it's my privilege to uh, come around God's Word with us. And so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to just turn to Uh, Exodus chapter 14 where we're going to be spending our time Um, and this passage has been on my heart for the last few weeks and I really feel that uh, God's given me something to really encourage us but before we go with that let me just pray and take a moment to just still our hearts as we come around God's word. Father thank you that in this moment as we come around your word your Holy Spirit who's been already at work in our hearts is going to bring your word alive in our hearts Father, without his revelation and insight and his uh, work in our hearts, Lord, they're just words on a page, they're just words coming out of my mouth, but Lord, I'm praying that as we come around your word, that your Holy Spirit will bring a stillness and a quiet whisper into our heart, that you would bring your revelation, that Lord, you would give us understanding of what it is you're saying to us. Help me to communicate your word, help us to have ears to hear and hearts that are submitted under your word, and that are willing to obey and respond in faith to your word. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll be with us in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to speak to you about crises. Crises already, you know, in our prayer time, we've seen several things that are happening in our world uh, that are really, really difficult and challenging things. And I, I wonder how you deal with crises. Uh, if If you're like me or like most people, I would say we would try as much as we can to avoid crises. Uh, We don't really want to go through a crisis in our lives. And if we do, we we want it to be over quick and we want to get on the other side of it. We want to solve it, fix it, find the solution, and just move on as quickly as we can. Um, Again, from my experience and from talking to many people and from what I've read, there generally seems to be two ways that people respond to crisis. One is the ostrich approach where you bury your head in the sand and hold on to dear life and you hope that the crisis just blows over as soon as it possibly can and just kind of withdraw and disengage and just try and hold on. The other is the opposite extreme where you go into kind of hyperactivity or manic mode where you try and control things and manage things and try and come up with solutions and come up with plans and try, and try and find ways to just fix the problem and get through it. And you just try and rely on your own resources and do whatever you can to fix the crisis. Usually one of those two extremes and maybe most of us would find ourselves somewhere in that spectrum. Well, I don't know what kind of life you've had up until now. Maybe you've not really had a major life crisis and you should be very thankful to God for that. Maybe you're younger and maybe you're still living at home or you're at school and not really had a major life crisis come into your life. And that's a wonderful gift and a blessing. Or maybe your life, as you look over it, maybe you're older and maybe you just see your life is one crisis after another. And just when you think that you've gotten over the last crisis, it seems like you're thrown into another one. And maybe the crisis that you've been through recently or maybe that you're going through right now is so intense and so severe that it's rocking the very foundations of your life. And maybe it's a crisis of faith. Maybe it's caused you to question everything you thought you knew about God. Maybe it's a crisis where God hasn't answered your prayers and you've been desperately crying out to Him and God just seems silent and He seems distant and you're wondering where God is in the midst of your crisis and, and, and maybe God's not being very godlike and you're kind of mad at God and you kind of blame God and maybe you think that it's all God's fault that you're going through the crisis you're going through. Well, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you that you're not alone. we're not alone in, in going through these things and experiencing these things as the Bible is full of accounts where God's people experienced crisis. We're all familiar with Job and his journey of experiencing that crisis of faith that just rocked his world to its very, very core. And he questioned everything he thought he knew about God and and the the security and the assurance that he had of who God was, was all thrown out of whack. And um, I've been reading uh, through the Psalms and Psalm 88 has been just such a, a profound Psalm and if you've been reading through the Psalms at any point, they, they generally tend to fall into one of three categories. There's the Psalms that you know everything's great and you're thanking God and praising, they're praising God for God's goodness and His power. And then there's the other Psalms where it seems like people go through a difficult time and but they come out at the end and God's, God turns up and solves the problem and answers their prayers and, uh, and, and they have this, this unshaking confidence in who God is and they're waiting in faith for God to move. And then there's psalms like Psalm 88, where the writer seems to have gone through a really difficult crisis, and he's just left with questions, wondering what's really going on. Uh, Listen to some of the words. Verses 6 to 9 says, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath, this is talking about God, Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Verse 13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. That's a lot of crises. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. It's a bit hard to turn pages. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. There's no happy ending here. There's no God coming to the rescue here. This person is going through a crisis where they get there And they're still there, and they're sitting in darkness, not sure what to do next. And maybe you felt a little bit like that. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like that. Maybe what you're going through right now feels like that to you. And so this morning, I want to take us to Exodus chapter 14, and I want to help you maybe come to a different perspective on crises. Maybe uh, my hope and my prayer this morning is that maybe you can begin to question some of the ways you've always thought about God in crisis. Maybe some of your thought patterns or the maybe the way you've responded and behaved in the past in a crisis to maybe re-examine some of those things from the perspective of understanding maybe what God is doing in the midst of your crisis. And so I've entitled my message this morning Embracing Crisis, which again that sounds crazy Countercultural. Sounds really strange to say that. But then, James chapter 1, James tells us something very similar. He says, You know, considered pure joy when we experience trials of various kinds. Why? Because in them, God is working. He's doing something in us. And I want us to bring that same perspective to ex- Exodus chapter 14 and maybe learn some lessons and principles here that will help us think and understand differently, sorry, think differently and understand maybe the the change process and the spiritual journey maybe that God is wanting to take us on in the midst of our crisis. And I want to share with you four principles that come out in this passage. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 14 and from verses 10 to verse 22. And it says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Moses answered the people do not be afraid stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the, the Lord will bring you today the Egyptians you see today you will never see again the Lord will fight for you you only you need only to be still then the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me tell the Israelites to move on Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, "'withdrew and went behind them. "'The pillar of cloud also moved from in front "'and stood behind them, "'coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. "'Throughout the night, "'the cloud brought darkness to the one side "'and light to the other side, "'so that neither went near the other all night long.'" Four principles. First one is that God is more interested in your change than in your comfort. When I read this story, I just think, God, surely there was an easier way to bring these children of Israel out into the promised land. God had promised them. God had told them that he was going to lead them from Egypt to the promised land. They'd already been through lots of challenges. They were running for their lives in the middle of the night. And, And then God brings them to this moment where they're stuck between literally the Red Sea and an army, uh, a rock and a hard place is the kind of saying that we have. Now, if I was God and I was trying to get these people from where they were to where I want them to go, I would have tried to make things as easy and as comfortable as possible. But I see here and I see time and time again in their whole journey experience, God's not interested in their comfort. He keeps bringing them to crisis moments, one after another after another. Because see, God is more interested in transforming their hearts than making them feel comfortable. And I wanna to suggest to you that maybe that's kinda of what God is doing in our lives too. And if we jump across to Deuteronomy 8, Moses tells them this when he's reflecting back on their, and on their story. He says this in verse two, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? Here it is, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, So the Lord your God disciplines you. See, I want to tell you, friend, when you go through a crisis, when it feels like your life that was once comfortable and predictable and safe and, you know, you're enjoying and you're having a good time, in one sense, that is the blessing of God. But as we see in Israel's journey and Moses' warning to them, it's in those moments that we often forget God. We become self-reliant. We, we think that we've got God all figured out. We, we we can kind of anticipate what God's going to do, and we put God in boxes that we say, okay, this is who my God is. I, I know him, and everything's good, and everything's safe. Well, God is not interested in us being like that. He wants to keep transforming us and changing us. We have a saying that says, a rolling stone gathers no moss, which means If you stay stuck, stuff starts to grow on you. And some of us, particularly those of us who've been Christians a long time, we've been so comfortable in our lives. And our lives have become so predictable that we we think we have formulas of how Christianity works and we've got it all figured out. We've got God all figured out. And into that space, God kind of steps in and brings a bit of discomfort to challenge us and to grow us because that's what he wants us to do. Now, throughout this message, uh, I thought that the metaphor of a trapeze artist will be a really helpful way for us to see this transition and journey process that God wants to take us on. And the first slide, I love this, it says a a trapeze poem, without letting go, there is no show. You know, and sometimes as Christians, we can be comfortable where we're just holding on to the trapeze and we're happily swinging back and forth and back and forth and having a great time. But that's not really what a trapeze artist is meant to do. And so God will come along and break the trapeze so that we are now in a very, very difficult place because he wants to change us. He wants to bust out of the boxes that we put him in. He wants to challenge the way we think. He wants to grow us in our understanding of who he is. So God is more interested in our change than our comfort. The second principle is that God is more interested in our surrender than our security. In our surrender than our security. Notice what happens. So we've got this Egyptian army coming out at, at the children of Israel, the Red Sea in front of them, and their first response in verses 11 onwards is to say, why did we come out of Egypt? Why did we leave this great place that we were living in? See, when we're in a crisis mode, when our lives are filled with anxiety, one of the things that we do, often like they did, is to retreat back to what is secure, what is familiar. We have another saying, you know, where we said, the devil you know is the better, better than the devil you don't know. And that's this whole idea that we, we want to be in that place that is safe and secure. And predictable, And we have these formulas in our minds that we, we retreat to or our religious traditions or our practices that worked for us in the past. And we try and do again what we've always done to try and help us through the crisis. But I love this. As we continue in the narrative, God often brings them to places where they have to choose between trusting God surrendering to him and stepping forward into god's plans for them continuing the journey forward into the promised land or retreating back to the safety and the familiarity of the false gods and the false things that they put their security in in the past and one of the interesting things that you'll notice as the narrative unfolds is that they tend to glamorize their past over and over again even here for them to say it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I mean, just think how ridiculous that statement is. They're talking about the very people who are chasing after them, trying to kill them, or trying to take them back into slavery. And if you jump over to chapter 16, this is the next crisis that they encounter, where God, uh, where they're crying out for, for, for meat. And listen to what they say in verse 2. In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Listen to this. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And if we jump ahead to Deuteronomy again, chapter one, where again uh, Moses is now They're paused. Moses is now reminding them of all of God's faithfulness in the past, preparing them to step into the promised land, and where they rejected again God's way and wanted to retreat back to Egypt. And he says this, Then I said to you in verse 29, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. These are the giants that were ahead. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes, And in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. Here's the key phrase. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. See, when we get to a crisis point, like the children of Israel did, like you and I will inevitably come to, remember that God is more interested in us surrendering to him than in our security. And one of the things God will do in that transition process and journey is to expose the very things that we're putting our security and our confidence in. The things that we've trusted in, whether it's our money, whether it's our intellect, whether it's our physical health. And right now with COVID, as it's been for the last year and a bit, that's kind of been what God has been stripping away in many people's hearts, exposing the the vulnerability of those false gods, those false things that we put our security in, that we grasp onto and try and hold onto to give us that sense of control. And God is wanting to strip those away and saying, hey, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to trust me. I want you to move forward, not glamorize your past and tell yourself, oh, back in the good old days, how good was it? How wonderful it was? How great my relationship with God was? How great church was? How great the the way my Christianity worked out? Whatever it is that you're wanting to retreat back to in those moments of crisis, recognize that maybe God is more interested in you coming to a place of surrender than in actually finding security in the things in your past. And so when we're looking at the trapeze artist, for him to, or her to move forward into the next one, to grab a hold of the next one, they have to actually let go of the one that they're holding onto and to experience what they call the gap. The gap between where you've been and where you need to go. And this is what the children of Israel, God was bringing them to this point. That the way was ahead. The way was forward. But their hearts kept wanting to go back. So I want to suggest to you that in your crisis, God might be wanting to expose and strip away The things in your past, the things of even yesterday, the the way you related to him, the way you knew him, the, the box and the formula and the Christian tradition maybe that you've relied on that is not going to work for you anymore because God is wanting to change you and grow you to know him in a deeper way and to surrender to him in a deeper way. The third principle is also kind of related to this, that God is more interested in revealing or showing you a who than a how. God is more interested in in revealing himself to you than a solution or a way forward or trying to help you understand necessarily what he's doing in this situation. Look at how the text brings this out. In verse 13, Moses says to them, don't be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the, the Lord will bring you today the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Need only to be still. There's no plan that's been given to the children of Israel. We are told about it in verse 15, that the Lord gives Moses the plan. And so here Moses is so confident that God will be faithful to his promise. It's the who that Moses gives them, not the how. But imagine if you were in this group of people and you're looking around and you look behind you and you see this Egyptian army chasing you down and you're looking ahead and you see this, the Red Sea that you're thinking, how are we going to get across this? And Moses says, it's okay, don't worry. Just see what God's going to do. Just stand firm. Be still and you will see God. You will see God work. I know that I would have been going, are you serious? Tell me what the plan is. Tell me what God's going to do. Tell me how he's going to fix this problem. Tell me how he's going to get us through to the other side. And then I can feel confident. Then I can feel at peace. Then I can rest secure because I know the how. But God doesn't give them a how. He gives them a who. And he says, trust me because of who I am because of the promises I've given you, because of the character that I've displayed to you. Trust in the who, so that you don't have to worry about the how. So in Christ, not only does God stir up our comfortable lives, not only does God expose the false gods, the, uh, the idols, and we heard even with the Daniel story about the false gods that we put our security and our trust in, that we want to grabble onto, the past things that have worked in the past for us that we want to retreat back to, old behaviors but here he, he in this process he wants to challenge what we know what we've known our intellect our reason our ability to understand our ability to have insight and that tendency that we all have as humans in crisis to say just tell me what the plan is and everything will be okay If I can just know what God is going to do, if I can just know what his plan is going to be, if he just tells me and I can understand and have insight into what he's doing, then that's all I need to know. But yet we see time and time again when the Bible stories unfold that God often doesn't give a how. And here's the crazy part. Even when he does give a how, it's ridiculous. The how that God says in verse 15 is tell the Israelites to move on. Like if we stop there in verse 15 and you were part of the crowd and Moses just yells out, all right guys, here's the how, move on. Like what, what would you have thought? Like where? How? Like are you serious? But I see time and time again in God's word, the hows when God does reveal it, still are not really a how. Think about Jericho. Like, really? March around this city once for seven days, uh, six days, and then on the seventh day, march around it seven times, blow your trumpets, shout, and the walls will come down. How is that a how? Think about David going to battle Goliath. He takes a sling and five stones against this enormous warrior. Think of Gideon, who goes to battle the Midianite army, and God says, Nut, you've got too many. Now that would have been a good how, like get everyone, every man who can fight, get them together and go to war. Yeah, that's a how, that makes sense. But no, 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 whittle down your army army to just 300 and then take a pitcher and a lantern and a trumpet. Like, are you serious? What kind of battle strategy is that? But that's just God's way. And in the New Testament, I think it's interesting that Jesus healed people differently every time. Sometimes he spat on the ground, and made clay, put there, put mud on their eyes. Other times he just touched people. Other times he just spoke his word. So many different ways, because it's not about the how, it's about the who. And that's what God is wanting us to understand and to learn in the midst of our crisis. See, and going back to the trapeze metaphor, when the trapeze artist lets go. He, You know, like when they're swinging back and forth and the person is behind them, they only sometimes get glimpses that there is actually somebody there. And when the moment they let go, they have to entrust themselves completely into the hands of the other person, knowing that even though they can't see the person who's there to catch them, that that person can see them. And that's what enables them to let go. It's a profound thing that the, the trapeze artist They're not trying to figure out the how, but they're putting their confidence in the who is waiting to catch them. The last principle I want to share with you is that in the midst of crises, God is more interested in the process of his work in our hearts than solving the problem that we have. God is a lot more interested in taking us through a journey in the midst of our crisis than fixing problem than coming up with a solution to get us out of the situation. And here, you know, I, I see this from verse 19 to verse 22, where we're told that the angel of the Lord, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire also did that. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness and light. The question I had was, could God not have parted the Red Sea in a moment. Of course he could have. I believe he could have. And yet God takes all night to do it. So many times in the Bible, I see that God's timeline is very different to ours. And the things that we see as delay, because he hasn't fixed the problem when we wanted it to, God sees a process that he's taking us through in our relationship with him. See, all through the night, Again, think, put yourself in the situation of these children of Israel. Like they're there, it's in the middle of the night, they can't see anything. And we're told that through the night, God was working and that was parting these seas. Look at verse 21 and following. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. All night long, God was at work, even though the people probably couldn't see it. God was at work, and yet there was a process that God was taking them through because he wanted to change their hearts, not fix their problem. And one of the things I love about this this passage is verse 20 where it talks about, or verse 19 and 20, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, so during the whole delay, during the whole process of God driving the waters back, throughout that same time period, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. See, even in the delay, even during the process, God was present to care for and protect his people. Incredible. In the midst of the darkness where they couldn't see what was going on, they've been told to move forward, but they had to wait all night long before they, had to, they could do that, before they could solve the problem, before they could get away from the Egyptians. All night long they had to wait and trust that God was at work even though they couldn't see it. And yet God was present with them, even in the gap. And that's one of the beautiful distinctions between our experience and the trapeze artist. You see, when the trapeze artist lets go and before he can grab a hold of the hands that are waiting to catch him, he has to endure the gap. But a trapeze artist endures the gap alone. But the people of God never have to experience the gap alone alone. Because the Father has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. Now, that doesn't mean we won't feel abandoned, that we won't feel alone, that we won't feel forsaken. When you read through the Psalms, you, you see that they, they felt that over and over again. But here and in the rest of the Bible, we are encouraged that the Father is always with us, even in the gap, because He is at work in the process even as we wait for the solution. And God can do miracles. God does do miracles. He does heal. He does provide. He does protect. He does move supernaturally in our lives. He does open red seas and takes his people through. But sometimes he doesn't. But even when he doesn't, he's still present to be at work in our hearts. So as I wrap up this morning, I want to encourage you that when you're going through the fire, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I want you to think about how you can meet with God in the fire and how you can see God in the fire. See, sometimes we're so busy when we're in the fire looking for a way out, looking for a solution, that we miss the Son of Man who is in the fire with us. And I want to encourage you that maybe in these two ways that I want to suggest to you, that you can meet Jesus in the fire. The first is lament or vent. Throughout the Psalms, I see the people of God crying out to God, pouring out their heart to God in, and, and telling God their, their deepest feelings of, like we read in Psalm 88, their disappointment and their betrayal and their loneliness and the darkness that they're in. God is not afraid of us expressing uh, angry, hurt, disappointed, painful feelings to Him. The Bible has many examples of deep, gut-wrenching lament where we pour out our hearts to God in the midst of our crisis. So vent, God is okay with that. The second strategy that I want to suggest to you in you're going through your crisis is to question, to question. And again, the Psalms are full of this. Job's whole book is full of questions that he was asking God. But I want you to think about different kinds of questions. Generally, when we go through crisis and many times in the Bible, the two questions or two kinds of questions that we find time and time again are, why me, Lord? Woe is me. Why me? Why have you done this to me? I'm such a good person. I don't deserve this. Why, God? And the other is, how long, Lord? How long do I have to put up with this? How long do I have to go through this? How long before you fix my problem? How long before you change my circumstance? Now we can ask those questions, but I want to suggest to you that God may or may not answer those questions. And many times in Scripture, He doesn't. So I want to suggest to you, in your moments of crisis, and not just in crisis, actually, any moment of your life, because even in the good times, God is at work wanting to teach us to trust Him more. And we're more at risk at forgetting God in the good times and relying on ourselves in the good times than in the crisis. I want to suggest to you four questions that I think based on these principles that God is more likely to answer. And here they are. And as we conclude our time, I'm just gonna end with a time of reflection and maybe allow you some moments to think through and sit with the Holy Spirit with these questions. Number one, God, what do you want to change in me so I can grow in my relationship with you? That's a great question, whether it's in crisis or not. And I believe God by his Holy Spirit will answer that question. God, what do you want to change in me so I can grow in my relationship with you? Second question, God, what do you want me to let go of and surrender to you? In other words, God, what are the idols in my heart? God, what are the false gods that I'm clutching onto? Even within my Christian experience, what are the things I'm holding onto that I need to let go of? What are the wrong thoughts, behavior patterns, responses, reactions? What are the boxes that I put you in? What are the limited ways I think about who you are that I need to let go of? I'm pretty sure God will answer that question. Third one, God, what do you want to show me about yourself? I think that's a great question. God, where do you want to blow my mind? Where have I limited who you are? You know, just think about the children of Israel. They'd never seen God open a sea in front of them. That's pretty amazing. Pretty incredible. They never saw manna. We, we read about that. They'd never experienced anything like that. They've never seen water come out of a rock. I mean, the whole thing of a pillar of fire. I mean, God is bigger than anything we can imagine. And yet, so often, our experiences limit God to make Him fit us. And so, this question is a great one What do you want to show me about yourself? And lastly, God, what new things? are you wanting to teach me? God, what new things are you wanting to show me? What things are you wanting to change in my life so I can live differently? God, what are the new thoughts and the new beliefs and the new behaviors and the new character in you? And what are the new things that you're doing in my life? What are the new things you want me to embrace? What are the new ways of living and being and trusting and and walking with you and worshiping you that you're wanting to teach me? So as we... Finish this morning why don't you just take a moment those questions are just going to sit up on the screen and for the next few moments just spend time reflecting and ask the holy spirit to speak into your heart and maybe drop a thought or a couple of thoughts in line with those questions let me just pray father i just invite you by your holy spirit to come in a very special way speak into every heart father as we bring these questions before you, whether we're in crisis or whether we're not. Father, your desire is for us to know you more deeply, to trust you more fully, to surrender to you, to walk humbly and closely with you. So I pray, Lord, into this moment of reflection and worship and surrender, Lord, that you will come by your Spirit and speak very particularly and specifically to every single person who is listening to my voice, who's going through this process, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.